This episode of Truth Table is brought to you by InterVarsity Press, whose vision is to catalyze redemption, restoration, and revival in our divided and broken world. Follow IVP on Twitter at IVPress and visit IVP's website at www.ivpress.com. Welcome to Truth's Table, Midwives of Culture for Grace and Truth. I'm McKemini. I'm Michelle. This table is built by Black women and for Black women. So welcome to the table, Em. How you doing, girl? Hey, doing well. We'll be more well after this discussion, I assume. Yeah, you know what? I feel like I'm going to be much, much more well after this discussion as <laughs> well. I, I feel my well coming. <laughs> I'm my well coming. <laughs> A deep well. <laughs> for real. For real. We are um, still, as you know, we're still in our uh, UOK series, series, which we brought back because of the pandemic. Um, and y'all know C's not at the table, so that means that we have an interview. Um, and we are so, I am actually excited about this interview because you guys know, even with our original, let me just say this, <laughs> our original UOK Sis series was about the health of Black women, um, uh, just with regard to um, 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 just sickness and and uh, maternal uh birth rate uh, um, rates and uh, doulas and, and midwives. Art, yeah. And mm-hmm. that was really our central focus. We, we um, did a whole episode with the author of Medical Apartheid, Harriet A. Washington. And so um, I'm actually very excited about this episode today because even though this UOK uh, series has been revived in the context of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, as which was right for us to do, uh, I'm, I'm really excited by the fact that we get to bring to the table um, a Black woman nurse by the name of Shelly McLean. Welcome to the table, Shelly. How you doing, girl? Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> hello, yes. <laughs> oh my goodness. Like seriously, I, th- I feel like in some ways, Michelle, do you feel like this is, I don't, maybe I'm tripping, but I feel like this is kind of like a 360 in some ways, you know, having her at the table with us. Yeah, we needed a medical professional at the table. Definitely. We did. We did. And so we thought it was really important for us during this series to also lift up our essential workers, right? Mm. So, you know, we had Omar Lyles at the table who's working with our elderly neighbors within the um, nursing care facilities. And so we were like, we need to bring a Black nurse to the table. And immediately, Shelly McLean right. came to mind. Oh, um, she's she's a friend of mine. She's um, uh, she she had just she just does great work. I mean, you could tell this is somebody who loves her patients. I've mm-hmm. seen her own first-hand accounts and that's what compelled um me to say, "Hey, would you yeah. be willing to come on our show first of all?" cuz yeah, everybody don't may, my, may not want to come to the table. So I didn't want to assume. And so I'm just really really happy that you're at the table with us, Shelly. Um and before I go even further, I want to let the people know 
about your street cred and what you've done, okay? (laughs) So let me let them know. Shelly McLean is a registered nurse who has been in practice for seven years. She is a certified medical surgical nurse with a diverse background in various medical specialties, but is currently practicing full-time at one of the largest emergency rooms in New York City. Shelly also works part-time at a smaller emergency room in the suburbs of New Jersey. She was recently accepted to SUNY Downstate Medical Center's Family Nurse Practitioners Program, where she will begin her pursuit of a master's degree in nursing beginning this fall. Shelly has a passion for social reform topics such as the effects of implicit bias in healthcare on patients of color and other vulnerable populations and often refers to herself as the Black Nightingale. So welcome to the table, <laughs> Shelly McLean, the Black Nightingale. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for having me. Thank you for of having course. me. Of course. I mean, Shelly, talk to us just, I mean, goodness, this whole pandemic has mm. just been overwhelming for yes. all of us, right? Mm-hmm. To varying degrees. I'm curious about how this pandemic has hit you personally as a Black RN in New York City. It's, uh, there's just so many layers to that question. There's so many layers to the pandemic in general. Um, This honestly has been the most challenging time of my career. I thought um, when I worked at um, NYU, the step-down unit, I thought that was challenging. This, This is heavy. This is challenging in a much, much different way, a much more profound way. Um, just being there and witnessing um, everyone intubated, witnessing coworkers dying, witnessing people lose their um, minds, <laughs> you know, just, just to put it plainly, um, just being there in the front, having a front row seat to everything, getting sick myself. It has been, oh boy, it, it's it's been really rough and it's hard for me to um, see the rebellion against um the social distancing protocols because I see (laughs) I I see I'm just I'm just like you guys have no idea you know what's going on you know on the front lines you know so it's it's been difficult it's been very difficult but I have been at the same time I have felt very grounded emotionally and I thank Mm. God for that Oh, that's wonderful. I mean, so first of all, I'm sitting in St. Louis, Missouri right now. (laughs) Um, So the Lake of the Ozarks is out here bugging and my people are heavily at risk. I'm wondering how how it's really hitting you that you people don't understand or may not be paying good attention to COVID-19 being something that does impact, quote unquote, everyday folks. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm so glad to hear that you're feeling spiritually stable. That's amazing. Um, I would love to know what you're having to say to people that don't have your everyday experience. Um, What would you say to someone who isn't doing all of the protocols and distancing quite right? How can we continue to be educated? How can we really know the real, real about how COVID-19 can impact us? Like, what would you say if you were teaching just a bunch of kindergartners oh, <laughs> what you need to know about how this illness can impact the body? So, so first for me, I think it, um, I try to 
understand where people are coming from a lot of times. And even in that, it's, it's still difficult and it's still a little bit frustrating. I think American culture um, is very privileged and very demanding. And COVID-19 mm-hmm. is something that requires a lot of patience. It's still very new. It requires, mm-hmm. you know, patience and cooperation and, you know, thinking about your neighbor in a way that is not mm-hmm. individualistic. Um, mm-hmm. I think our culture is very individualistic and very demanding. And that's where the impatience is coming from. People, you know, have this kind of mindset because it's not affecting me directly. I'm just going to go out there and do my thing and, and, you know, um, fulfill my pleasures. It's about me. And, you know, for me, I keep trying to tell people it's not about you. Um, It's not just about you. It's about society in general. It's about your neighbor. Um, and it could be about you, you know, um, people's grandparents, you know, just imagine um, a room full of people that's your family members, you know, all getting effect, um, all getting affected by the virus because you did not follow simple instructions. To me, wearing mm. a mask is such a simple, it's such a simple instruction. I don't understand the... I don't understand the, the the resistance against wearing a mask. And mm-hmm. I would like to hear from people. I would actually like to talk to one of these people one of these days. Like, <laughs> what is your resistance? What is what is your resistance to wearing a mask? What is your mm-hmm. resistance to practicing social distancing? I think I think in order to answer that question, I first need to understand them and I need to understand. Mm-hmm. I need to understand why. Um, and that, that's always the angle I try to come from. I try to understand, even though I don't agree, I try to understand why, where people are coming from. Why are you so resistant to this? What is the issue? Um, I haven't had the chance to research and to, um, listen to them online Mm -hmm. as far as that, but I would, if I can just paint a picture to them, if I can just paint a picture of them coming into the emergency room, walking into the emergency room, and every single person is on a, uh, is on a um, ventilator. And more than half of those people are not getting off. That's, that's just the facts. More than half of these people who are intubated are not getting off the, the, the intubate, are not oh going goodness. to be... Um, you know, are not going to have that tube out of their throat. Wow. You know, can you say that stat men- again? Shelly, can you say that stat again just one more time more, for the listeners? More than half of the people wow. who were intubated die. It, that's just to put it plainly, you know? Oh, um, oh. So, and and not just, and death, this is going to sound crazy to some people for me saying this, but I think as a believer, to me, mm-hmm. death is not the worst thing to happen to someone. Let me just mm-hmm. make that plain. Mm-hmm. There are mm-hmm. other fates worse than death. Mm-hmm. Losing your losing mm-hmm. your quality of life to me is is worse than death. Oh, you know, defecating on yourself, not being able to breathe every day. You oh, know, geez. just imagine laying in a bed and and you're 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 not breathing comfortably every single day. Mm-hmm. The simple basic human needs, basic human needs are, are taken away from you. The basic being t- able to touch somebody is wow. taken away from you. Being able to see your family members is taken away from you because families are not, visitors are not allowed in the hospital. I don't know if you guys know that. Yeah, yeah. we do. Wow. Yeah. People are dying and alone, hearing- you know? So for me, it, 
I, I need to understand why they're so resistant. And I would love to paint a picture for them of how exactly how it looks on the front line. You don't mm. want your family member in that situation and you don't want to be in that situation. I know everyone thinks it, it, it cannot happen to them, but it can. The virus is no respecter of person. The virus has no favorites, you know? So right, right. Uh, it's just really frustrating yeah. for me. I just, to me, it's, you know, it's just why, <laughs> why, are, mm. why are people doing this? Yeah, no, you know, right. Shelly, thank you so much for that because I, I mean, you know, speaking mm-hmm. about painting the picture, I mean, my question to you is what, what does it look like for you to go into work um, every day as one who is on the front lines? Because this pandemic is not over, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, New York, New York City, you are, you, I guess you could say is somewhat was the epicenter, right? And, yes. And you guys have been working hard, you know, mm-hmm. to, I guess, flatten the curve. I don't even know if we could say that that's what's happened yet. I'm not sure. But, but, <laughs> you, but, but obviously hospitalizations are down, right? Yes. Um, and, and, and so there's a significant drop, right? Where, where you're better off now than where you were, say, early March or mid-March. Mm-hmm. Um, but, no way. But, in a way, okay, good, 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 mm-hmm. great. So, so in that same vein, then, because that's the yeah. perception, right? Mm-hmm. That is the perception for people is that oh, we're somewhat fine, flat the curve, we're fine, right? I think th- there's mm-hmm. some of that um, that underlies, I think, some of this, you know, behavior or disobedience or whatever you want to call it. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I'm wondering if you can paint the picture for for our um, sisters at the table on what it means to be a black RN to go into work, um, knowing that over 50% of the people on the ventilator mm-hmm. end up dying, one. Mm-hmm. Two, knowing that um, we, are black folks, black and brown folks are disproportionately impacted, mm-hmm. right, by by COVID-19 because of systemic factors. Yes. Um, and what it means for you to go in as a nurse, knowing that you could be, could be infected or have been infected, mm-hmm. and wh- how do you navigate all mm-hmm. of that? What does it take us through your day to day? And what, how do you even mentally prepare for that? How do you emotionally prepare for that? Mm-hmm. Spiritually prepare, prepare, prepare for that. And what it means to look death in the face when you know somebody is, is going to pass and they're not going to make it. Oh, I know that's gosh. a lot, but can no, you paint that picture rough. for us? It's, it's definitely rough. So, um, the COVID-19 admissions are definitely down, but you know what admissions are up? Uh, mental health, um, psychiatry issues are up. So we're seeing a lot Mm. more people come to the emergency room or being committed for um, psychiatric exacerbations. So people who suffer from depression, people who are depressed because of the circumstances, many people have tried to commit suicide, people Mm. who are schizophrenic or, you know, whatever psychiatric disorders, um, they may have had or they never had before. We're seeing a lot of that right now. Mm, okay. So that is hard. And I and I think as a black person, um, mental health is not discussed in our communities enough. And um, I think that's one of the things that I'm a little bit nervous about because I'm seeing more and more people of color coming in for these mental health issues. Uh, Also, the second thing is because I work in two different hospitals, I work in a hospital in an emergency room in the suburbs, and I work in an emergency room in the inner city, I see the contrast between how people in the suburbs are treated versus how people in the city, people of color in the city are treated. It is extremely, it is extremely different. 
Mm. Um, so, you know, so the, the racism in, um, medicine has come up a lot for me. I, I have stories upon stories of, you know, people of color being almost kind of, it's hard for me to say this, but I felt like, um, the, the system has failed a lot of people of color during this time. I've watched people of color um, be, you know, made DNR, do not resuscitate, and the doctor completely um, give up on them or the, the doctor completely refuses to treat them because, mm. oh, the patient, I, I call the doctor to say, hey, this person's saturation is going down. Okay, they're, they're DNR. What does that mean? I've gotten, to, got, I've gotten into many arguments, <laughs> you mm. know, over that. DNR does not mean do not treat. DNR does not mean neglect. So I have literally seen a lot of that. And that is hard for me as a person of color because I can be that person. I have Mm -hmm. a coworker who recently contracted the virus. She texted me, I'm on my way to the emergency room. I said, I'll see you, you know, because I was working that night and she got there and you would think, you know, this is a nurse, you know, she'll be treated fairly. Nope. She was treated just like every other woman of color who comes in complaining of chest pain, ignored and, you know, just there's no respect or there's no value for um, life when it comes when you when you are walking in in black in a black shell. That's that's how I feel. That's how I felt. And for me, that is overwhelming. That is sad and that is scary because I'm a woman of color. My family and my friends are majority people of color. So that that is that that has been my struggle. I have mm-hmm. not been afraid of COVID-19. I have mm-hmm. not um you know I've 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 you know ran into rooms. I have been careless as a matter of fact. I have been kind of careless mm-hmm. when someone you know coded I ran into that room without a gown without my gear and started resuscitating them. So I have never been afraid of COVID-19. I have been right. frustrated with the system. Come if on. that makes sense. Amen. Um, oh. Amen. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. No. No, I'm, I was just, amen, because the system is designed. <laughs> we're just a party. We're just listening. We are here like, preach, woman. Yes, yes, and I don't even—I wouldn't even call that careless. You going in to uh, while there's a code blue. Wait, does that mean it's a code blue? Yeah, Mm -hmm. I want to make sure I'm using the language right. But I don't think that's—I don't even see that as careless. I see that as like a full and complete display of radical love. Like you know, I'm saying in that moment you are trying to bring that person back from the brink of death, and you're not even thinking about like you know, I'm saying Mm -hmm. your own life. Like, you know what I'm saying? I don't know what a greater display of what the gospel is. Like, now, obviously, everybody needs to use PPE, right? But, yeah. but I think that's, I don't think that's something you're doing as a regular practice. But I think mm. that's a display of just radical love for the patient, whoever mm. that is. Like, you know, and I, that's why I was like, I was compelled to have you on the show because I was like, we need more nurses like you Absolutely. who are willing like, you know what I'm saying? To lay down their own lives, really, for somebody else. Because it's just every time you, you're going in as a nurse, that's what you're doing. Mm-hmm. From my own vantage point, that seems to me, I mean, it's a real sacrifice. It mm-hmm. is a real sacrifice, yeah. what you're doing. It's, it's definitely, it definitely felt very sacrificial. And I have been privileged that I don't have children and I live alone, you know, but there are nurses who have, who live with their grandparents and their older parents So they, you know, had, they felt like they had much more to 
at stake, you know, taking care of COVID-19 patients. And they were much more, I, you know, my coworkers were very anxious every day. My heart, you know, just went out to them because when someone is struggling with it, coming to work with severe anxiety, you know, what do you say to them? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, and, and I'm just like, God, give me the words or even the silence because silence can, silence can speak volumes to someone who just wants to talk right? You know, give me the words or give me the wisdom to when to be silent, to listen to my coworkers because nurses were struggling. Nurses were struggling uh, like with, with a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, you know, but my fear didn't come from contracting the virus. My, Mm -hmm. my frustration just came from how things were being done. It was just very frustrating for me. And I echo 100% what Akemini said about needing more nurses like you who are not only willing to rush into spaces where the battle is being fought and people are not fighting for patients, but Mm -hmm. to name it and to uncover the truth about Mm -hmm. the fact that, yes, we do have medical heroes, we appreciate and applaud doctors, but we must continue to fight and continue to name the fact the medical apartheid is still clearly happening. Mm-hmm. Yes. That's a really complex space for you to be. And I just think it's uh, it, honestly, it's important that our listeners know that and that you continue to speak and say, COVID-19 is not as scary as racism. <laughs> that yeah, no. yeah, that's basically so it. We appreciate it. And um, we have to head into a break. It's sort of our mid taking a breather for a little bit to hear from some of our sponsors. And I cannot wait to get back to talking to Shelly to ask a little more. Have you ever felt too progressive for conservatives, but too conservative for progressives? Christians often feel like they are forced to choose between social justice and biblical values. And it's easy to become disillusioned with civic engagement or even fall back into tribal extremes. This state of affairs has damaged the Christian public witness and divided the church. The authors of the new book, Compassion and Conviction, represent the AND campaign, which exists to educate and organize Christians for faithful civic and cultural engagement. They make the biblical case for how it is possible to engage the political process with both love and truth, compassion and conviction. And we have an exclusive offer for our Truth Table listeners. You can save 40% off on Compassion and Conviction, the AND Campaign's Guide to Faithful Civic Engagement by Justin Gibney, Michael Ware, and Chris Butler when you use the promo code TRUTH20. That's promo code TRUTH20 when you purchase Compassion and Conviction at ivypress.com. Welcome back to the table. We're still here with Shelly, the uh, Black Nurse Nightingale, or really the Nightingale of our generation, okay? (laughs) 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 We're so thankful for all the wisdom that you have shared. Um, I've I've been hearing two really scary things about Mm. this disease, and I'm wondering how you would respond, um, especially as a sister in Christ, 
um, how you will respond to these two things. Number one, this idea that our um, our elders are really the ones who are most at risk for COVID-19. Mm-hmm. No matter what anybody says, you know, we really just need to practice social distancing. If you work at a nursing home, if you take care of your elderly parents, don't worry about you know, following the guidelines for any other age group. And the other thing that we've been hearing a lot is that the recoveries are so encouraging, recovery is so encouraging. And I wonder if from a faith and medical perspective, you could speak to a lot of these testimonies we're getting that people are saying, I'm glad to be alive, but my life will never be the same medically. And so now I'm deeply distressed spiritually. Um, Those are the two big arguments I'm hearing from folks, I think, who are where we sit, right? They're like, I do have a mask. I do wear a mask. But I also realize I don't, you know, I don't really have to. People who are kind of getting a little impatient. um, How would you encourage them? Like, nah, this is this is still very serious. Um, I, I, I think that's tough. I think it's tough to. Because I don't want anyone to think that I'm downplaying what they're feeling. I think mm-hmm. everyone's feelings is 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 important. I think it's important to um, acknowledge. For me, I acknowledge what I feel in the moment, and I sit in it, and I, um, you know, address my feelings. You know, to say someone else's. You know, I've heard other people say, "Oh, well, someone else is going through something worse than me." That doesn't erase the fact that you are going through something right now. You are anxious. You think, you know, your life is not going to be the same. Um, and, and that is valid. I think, mm-hmm. for, first of all, we need to acknowledge that our feelings are valid, regardless of what someone else is going through. Um, yeah. But I also, I also think it's important to... Philippians for what is what is the scripture that talks about you know changing the way you think thinking on things that are pure thinking on things that are of good report I believe that's Philippians for eight I think it's important for us the Philippians for eight if if that's the scripture (laughs) you know I think it's important (laughs) I think it's important to watch how you're thinking I think Mm. it's important to not sit in negative thoughts all the time, you know, mm-hmm. like perpetually just that's, that's all you're doing. I think, I think we need to be a little more self-aware of how mm-hmm. we're thinking. Um, mm-hmm. you know, just accepting that your life would never be the same is, is just, it's not healthy. How do mm-hmm. you know that? Mm-hmm. How do you know that, you know, two years from now, a year from now, six months from now, you're never going to be, you're not going to be the same, you know? So I encourage people to not accept that Mm. lie that your life is never going to be the same. Mm. I don't, I don't, I don't, I personally don't believe that, Mm. you know? Um, And I also encourage people to go to therapy. I think therapy, if, if you need to go to therapy after this, or if you need to see a therapist during this time, um, I think it's important to seek out resources and seek out, seek therapy and to talk about your feelings and to talk about your fears and why you think your life is never going to be the same. Mm. Um, the elderly, ooh, oh gosh, I, my heart goes out to them. I had a, I, one day I was floated to a COVID unit. It's 100% COVID. They, they were short staffed. Mm. 
I work in the ED. They asked me, would I like to float? I said, sure. So I, I could get up there and, you know, it's a lot of elderly people. And I had this woman, this elderly woman who was very confused. She was demented. She's COVID positive. And I tried to FaceTime her family. There's like this iPad on a stick like that's rolling around. So I try to FaceTime her family so her family can see her. She can see her family and talk to her family. And her daughter-in-law is on the FaceTime and she's all over the place. She's playing with the sheets. She's very restless in the bed. And mm. um, I say, you know, your daughter is there. I'm trying to redirect her her eyes to her daughter on the FaceTime, but she's just very confused and very restless. Mm, right. And I don't, I don't know why, or I just, I took my gloved hand. I had gloves and I had the shield and a, a mask on and I just caressed her face. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, it's like her world stopped. It, it, it was, wow. it wow. was kind of like a, it, it almost looked like magic. Like I had mm-hmm. some kind of magical mm-hmm. hand. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like it was, wow. <laughs> she just stopped and closed her eyes and leaned into my hand. Mm. And then she turned her face and kissed my hand. Mm. And, and, in, and it, it just naturally, I just naturally hugged her because mm. in that moment, regardless of COVID, I just, I hugged her. She kissed my yeah. face. She kissed the side of my neck mm. because mm. I realized in that moment, wow. just the basic human touch, basic human mm. contact was taken away from her. And then given to her in a moment, like it's, it was almost like her body, even with her dementia, even with her confusion, her body craved human, meaningful human contact. And I would encourage people to try to stay connected to their elderly, you Mm. know, parents and try to connect with them in a meaningful way. Even if it's a FaceTime, even if it's with a touch, don't forget to hug your neighbor. Mm. I am not a hugger, but I started hugging my coworkers. Mm. People don't understand how much this pandemic has taken away, how much it robbed us of. It's so many layers. My goodness, okay. that that story, Shelly, just it really, mm-hmm. really brought tears to my eyes because it's, like you said, it's robbed so much. It's taken so much from us, mm-hmm. right? And I think part of what the, um, uh, as you mentioned earlier, the rebellion that we're seeing, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. there's a lot of re- there's a lot of reasons for it. A lot yeah. of reasons for them. Okay, you know, uh, a lot of it, you know, the rush back is fear, right? You know, wanting mm-hmm. to get back to to the normal that they mm-hmm. knew. Um, but has been robbed, you know, from us and they're taking really in some ways they're really taking their lives into their own hands in order to mm-hmm. do the most, um, you know, uh, uh, basic things, right. That we used to mm-hmm. do with the, mm-hmm. to, for granted. Right. And almost it's like now people are really li- risking their lives to get a haircut and to yeah. go to the nail shop and to stand in line at Ross. Like I've, I saw that today, oh the God. line wrapped around Ross, no social distancing. Yeah. I'm telling the most yeah. mundane and most basic <laughs> Things that people are really actually um, risking their lives mm-hmm. um, for in order to get back um, mm-hmm. to that normal. And so I'm wondering when you when you think about this woman, this elderly woman that's you know in the bed that was just starved for physical mm-hmm. touch, um, like really like like many 
of us are. Not everybody yeah. is, but there's, there's a significant por- portion of the population that's starved for physical connection yes. um, and hasn't had a hug since late February, early March. You know, yes. um, I, I'm just wondering when you when you think about because uh, I and now my mind goes to my goodness, the second wave that's going to come. You know, now in light of, you know, the rush to reopen and the, you know, the rush and the, um, how can I say people kind of, you know, throwing caution at the wind Mm -hmm. and not doing the social distancing, not wearing the mask. So people are going to get sick. Um, And then the the hospitals, of course, are going to inevitably are going to get um, filled up again. And I'm Mm -hmm. wondering from your own perspective as a nurse on the front lines, how, like, is there, are you all prepared for a second wave, do you all have the the oh, PPP? Man. Do you have everything <laughs> necessary? Can can if that were to happen, like mm-hmm. you know, say I don't know by end of June or early July, would you be prepared for that? Right. So, that? so yeah. So right now, um, I think healthcare is changing to prepare for a second wave. Right. Right now, at my job mm-hmm. yesterday, so the emergency room I work. At in the in the in the city in New York City, it is ginormous. We hold okay. up to two hundred and fifty people on a normal night. Okay. Um, we have closed down sections of the emergency room to um, deep clean. So right now, there's deep cleaning going on. There are sections of the emergency rooms no one is allowed in because they they have to do these cleanings. Okay. And um, I also see that they're redesigning some of the equipment. For instance, during COVID-19, people with asthma weren't allowed to get nebulizers, which is extremely important for an asthmatic. Mm -hmm. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. They weren't allowed to get nebulizers if they were positive for COVID because the CDC believes that COVID-19 is droplet. Um, Mm. Droplets, uh, people, people were fighting whether or not it was droplet or airborne. And people were saying it's airborne. But the CDC believes it's droplet because um, droplets basically remain suspended in the air for a certain amount of hours. And it it can travel 50 miles an hour um, to up to six feet. However, Mm -hmm. when you um, give a nebulizer treatment or you give a BiPAP, um, the droplets become aerosolized and the virus becomes airborne. Once the virus becomes airborne, every single person in that vicinity is at risk. So that's why we weren't giving nebulizers. So now um, they're redesigning equipment to be able to give nebulizers without the virus aerosolizing. So little things Mm -hmm. like that Mm -hmm. is happening right now to prepare for a possible second wave because asthmatics were being intubated because they weren't getting... Um, their nebulizers, they weren't getting treat the, their their regular treatment that they needed because you know it's it, <laughs> my I'm so overwhelmed just even I just got a flashback I'm sorry <laughs> I'm sure. yeah um, and talking about flashbacks you know one of my coworkers said she thinks there's going to be some PTSD and that flashback reminded me of the fact that it's possible for for mm-hmm. some of us. But, um, you know, so you have to choose, you have to make these hard, we have, we have had to make these hard decisions. Like, do we give an asthmatic their nebulizer treatment or do we risk mm. their lives or, or risk, you know, um, 50 people standing in this room right now? 
you know, by, yeah. by giving them a nebulizer treatment. So, so a lot of the equipment is being redesigned um, for, for that to happen. And a lot of the nurses um, from, I know for at my hospital, they have hired like a lot of travel nurses right now so that our regular staff can rest. They want our regulars, they're asking the regular nursing staff to rest right now. They're, you know, we don't have yeah. to use vacation time because okay. we need that. We need to recuperate for a second wave. So, so those things are happening right now. Mm. Yeah. Sis, I'm like, you okay, sis? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the first time that happened. <laughs> yeah, I was talking and mm-hmm. I got a flashback and it, it overwhelms me like quickly. That's that that has never happened before. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So so Shelly, how would you say how are you how are you how is your own mental health? How are you keeping your own uh really your your own sanity? What are you, what are you doing? How are you caring for your own mind during this time? Because you've seen a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, since the pandemic began, how do you, um, how how are you able to ground yourself uh, in this in this work and even in this calling in this moment and even knowing that another wave will come? Mm-hmm. I honestly think, <laughs> I honestly think that the prayers of the righteous did avail because mentally and emotionally, I wasn't struggling as much to be honest. Um, I felt very, I felt like, I felt very at peace most of the times. And I think that was just the grace of God carrying me because, because without my mind, I am nothing like, like, like without my mental health, there there is no way I can help you. There's no way I can, I've watched nurses, um, had to be sent home for anxiety. You, you are not, um, equipped to help someone when you, when your mental health is not okay, when you, when you are not well mentally, mm. you, you can't even think to do a basic task. Like you can't even put in an IV when you're nervous. When I'm training new nurses, I'm like, if you're nervous, you're not going to be able to put this in. You're not being good to be able to do this task. So breathe, silence your soul before you do this task, because you're going to make a mistake if you're nervous. So that, that's just how powerful mental health is. And for whatever reason, and I believe it's prayer. I have honestly been very at peace. There are moments where I grieve. I have to grieve. Like I said, like I acknowledge my feelings in the moment. I'm very self-aware. So I have acknowledged my feelings in the moment. I had to leave the floor a couple of times, you know, after getting very frustrated or very angry with a decision that was being made. Um, I have sat in my car and cried for an hour before, you know, so, so for me, I just sit in my emotions in that moment, deal with it in that moment, pray about it, meditate. I started practicing meditation, something I've never done before. I feel like it works a lot for me. Um, Meditation works a lot for me. Um, Speaking positive, um, affirmations work a lot for me as well. Um, taking vitamins, feeding my body correctly works a lot for me. I do notice the contrast between me not eating well and me eating well. So, um, that works a lot for me. Um, and I have to take care of my physical body as well, you know, because I, you know, I, this might be TMI, but I do have PCOS. So when I am stressed out, 
that flares up and my emotions can be crazy. So mm-hmm. I've had to take care of myself, phys- really take care of myself physically with vitamins, uh, making sure I get enough nutrition, making sure I work out and meditating. So those things, ha- a combination of those things, my mother praying for me, um, pastors praying for me, those things in combination really kept me together. And I just, I just pray the same for, you know, other people, other people were not fortunate to have the privilege that I have. Um, and, you know, like I said, I've watched my coworkers just fall apart. And, and that was also a really, really sad thing to see, to witness. Absolutely. I am yeah. so thankful that, um, that you're there. It seems like not only are you bearing witness, um, but you you're not just witnessing things, but you are a witness. You're witnessing two people. And I truly believe that all of the weeping and the lamenting and the mourning that you're doing is such a huge part of self-care. Honestly, there's so much that we think about mourning or we miss out on it, but I think mourning is a big part of being merciful. And the best Mm -hmm. nurses are, are just, their work is covered in mercy. And so I think it's a mercy of God that you're able to sit in your emotions. Your self-awareness is all too rare. Shout it loud from the front and the back. Please, Lord, give us more self-awareness. But I'm just really blessed to hear that you sit in those things. I also think there's, there's a lot to be said about the systemic weight Mm. that you carry as a woman, as a black woman, as a woman who is Black and a nurse who is witnessing um, not only the passing of um, her people, but but weight and strain in the face of what I would call enemies. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a radical, so maybe I'm taking this too far, but like, how, how do you continue to deal mm-hmm. as, as a sister and as a coworker with mm-hmm. your coworkers who are committing racist violence mm-hmm. it is mm-hmm. violence to to move that dnr to do not treat and um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the lord i know the lord is sustaining you because you're an activist in in so yes. many ways and how do you move how do you move in those spaces where there's so many folks around you that i think could be that kind of at least spiritually they're behaving like enemies yeah i i it hurts <laughs> I, I have to say it hurts my feelings mm-hmm. um it, it, oh man, it hurts my feelings a lot. Um, I, you know, told myself I'm going to like lift my voice and, um, start this black nightingale thing, you know, to bring awareness to what's going on. And I had to meet, I had to have a meeting with, um, my branding company to, um, talk about the logo. So they were like, you know, Shelly, what do you want people to see when they see your logo? So I started to tell this story of this woman I had. Um, she is this older lady. I got report from the previous nurse and I go into her room. I, I peek, there's like a glass in the door so I can see her. And she looked very disheveled in the bed. And um, I said, okay, I'm going to see her first. So I put my gear on. I go into the room to see the woman and her the she was tied to the bed she was restrained to the bed her left arm was blue from the the circulation being cut off 
She had vomited in her mask. So she's like drowning in her own vomit. You know, so, mm. so this woman was in such mm. a disrespectful state. Yeah. I, I, right. There's no right. other word to describe it because if that was anyone's family members, that, that it, it would have been, it, it would have been over, mm. you know? So right, just right. seeing another woman of color as a woman mm-hmm. of color, seeing another woman of color in that state, mm. I would say that I am not perfect in my response to things all the time. I snapped. I completely snapped. I took mm-hmm. pictures. I went mm-hmm. to the manager. I oh, went to the top. Like it, I, I snapped, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what you, I'm sorry. I didn't hear you. Oh no, oh, no. I was just, just like, go ahead. Woman. Yeah. Like, go ahead. <laughs> no, it's, it's because I feel like, I feel like uh, how I don't even know. I think, I don't know if it's maturity. I don't, I don't know if it, I'm not mature enough to deal with things in a good way all the time, in a, in a, you know, loving way all the time. But in moments like that, it is hard for me. It is just, I, it is just hard for me. And, you know, I'm sorry that I don't have the answer to that question because I feel like I am not perfect when it comes to seeing, um, things like this, when, Mm. when it comes to witnessing, you know, because in my head, that's my grandmother. And this is, this is how you left her. Mm. Because, and I I don't know if it's because the nurse didn't want to go into the room because, so that was another issue. Nurses who are having severe anxiety, some of them did not want to go into certain rooms. So, you know, so I don't know if, if it, if that was the issue, Um, but it's hard. I I have to say it's hard and I'm still working on myself and how I respond to things. For me, it is starting this Black Nightingale um, movement to mm. talk about it because mm. we need to hear about it, That's you know? Right. That's right. Mm. Yeah, you know, um, I don't even know if it's a, honestly, first of all, we're all in progress, right? <laughs> sanctification right. is, you know, a sanctification is, um, it's not linear. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It, it, we, we go, we go up, we go down. It is, it's progressive, right? It's not yeah. linear um, and it's slow. Like, you know, but right. when you see it in justice and you see an indignity, um, I think it, 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 it should give you that type of response, right? Where, right. where you are just, where you're indignant, you know, where mm-hmm. you're, you're angry yeah. because of the way that this human being, this mm-hmm. fellow image bearer is not being treated, um, with dignity. It's not mm-hmm. being, uh, it's not being dignified. It's not being honored and cared for in the way that they ought to be, you know, mm-hmm. cared for. So we all in progress with that. But I think yeah. that the, the response that you're feeling within your soul, it is most definitely right. And, and these, these patients need an advocate, yeah. right? And, and I think that's what's so, um, jarring about, uh, COVID-19 is that family members can't be there. Right. Exactly. And so they are, these people are at the mercy of the caregiver or the health care workers. And that can be real bad news for black folks and real yes. bad news Absolutely. for people of color. Like, you know, because I think we all have, you know, our horror stories, stories mm-hmm. with, with our own interactions or our family members um, encounters with healthcare workers. And so it, it, at least I know it heartens us at this table to know that you are there, you know, on the That's front lines right. advocating right. passionately um, and, and um, sacrificing, willingly sacrificing mm-hmm. um, for, for everybody that's under your care. And so um, I'm wondering as we're, we're wrapping now, but I'm wondering if you could talk to us about 
Black Nightingale. Why you call yourself the Black Nightingale? What does it mean? What does it mean so that our our sisters at the table can, you know, just be energized by it and learn more about that? And yeah, because I know it energizes you. So I'm curious about that. Yes. So so like I was saying, you know, when I when I was working with the branding company, I was telling them that same passion that I felt when I saw that patient. That's what I want people to feel when I when they see that logo. That's what I want my logo to look like. I remember they sent me like drafts of a logo. I said, no, that's too cute. I want people to be <laughs> angry. I want people to feel the passion, feel the, 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 the frustration when it comes to racism in healthcare, when it comes to implicit bias. So the Black Nightingale is basically, I played on... Um, you know, Lady Nightingale, who is the founder of nursing, she mm. was also passionate about um, back in her day when the wars and things were going on and nursing was just becoming, you know, nursing was being born. Um, a lot of soldiers were being um, dying from infection that could be prevented, easily prevented. But soldiers were dying from an infection. So basically, um, Lady Nightingale, she went in and she was also known as Lady with the Lamp and investigated and realized that hand washing hygiene was the culprit for these soldiers dying. And, mm. you know, she, she lifted her voice. She presented research and she was able to change nursing and, and nursing is what it is today because of her work in the in the field. And that's where I came up with, you know, the Black Nightingale, because I'm going to be talking about implicit bias in nursing. And I think there's a lot of people, a lot of nurses, a lot of medical professionals aren't aware of their, their biases and they aren't aware that their, their biases affect, affect their decisions in healthcare. Because a lot of times bias is so deeply rooted. It, people are on autopilot. They're not even meaning to deny this black woman medication. They're not purposely thinking, I'm not going to put this black woman who's complaining of chest pain. By the way, I keep bringing that up because mm. two women died, two black people died in the emergency room. They came in complaining of chest pain and they were ignored. They died in the waiting room in New York city. So that, that, yes. that's why I keep bringing up the chest pain thing, but mm. I've witnessed it. I've seen, you know, um, a patient come in and, you know, they flag me down, you know, because they're like another sister, you know, they flag me down and they're like, I really have chest pain. And my nurse, you know, I told my nurse and she ignored me and I go to the nurse and I say, hey, your patient is complaining of chest pain and they ignore me, <laughs> you know. So I don't know if that's purposeful, mm. but I know it comes from implicit bias because a white patient I have never seen a white patient treated like that. I, I, I have never seen it. Right. Mm. My eyes have never witnessed it. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it has never happened, but mm -hmm. I've worked in three hospitals in New York City, one in, in, New, in New Jersey and one in Philadelphia. I have never seen white people treated like that. Mm. <laughs> so, wow. so, you know, that's where the Black Nightingale comes from. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's like a, almost like it's a call to stop implicit bias. My goal is to connect people of different um, backgrounds, doulas, um, nutritionists, other nurses to come together to advocate for patients, basically. So, you know, again, when you see the logo, you remember to check your biases at the door. Check, mm -hmm. check it. 
Mm-hmm. You know, why are you not giving this person pain medication? Like, what's the real reason you're not giving this person pain medication? You, I need people to ask themselves that. What's the real reason you did not check on that 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 older woman? You didn't check on her arm. Her arm is dying. Her arm is blue. What's the real mm-hmm. reason you did not do your assessment on that patient? Mm. I need people to check themselves. So that's what that's about. That's good. Yeah, and asking the 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 extra question, the extra question, right? That that mm-hmm. challenge yourself, the introspective question, like why? Yeah. Why am I being so lax with this person who I exactly. would not be lax with if that person looked like me, like you know, right. or looked like my mom, or whatever, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, thank you so much, uh, Shelly, just for your insights um, and your experience, and even opening up. Um, about your experience, we know that that I, we we can only imagine that 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 can't be easy, you know, for you to do with regard to just how much you've seen, you know, mm-hmm. um, in the field, and so we don't take that for granted, and we just thank you so much, and 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 I know our listeners, um, certainly certainly appreciate just your 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 passion, um, and your insight and your own expertise, and I'm wondering, um, if you could talk to our sisters at the table now and tell them how they can follow uh, your work, your maybe your up coming projects black nightingale whatever you want them to know <laughs> it's your time to talk to them and tell them well how they can keep up with you <laughs> yes so i have not officially launched yet we're still working on imagery and art and things right. like that in the background and plus i work six days a week oh my goodness yes, yes. <laughs> so, well current currently i'm that's going to end in july but you can in the meantime Follow me at underscore the Black Nightingale on Instagram, and I will be posting updates and things like that once it's launched. Yes. Okay. Great. 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 Well, thank you so much for sitting at the table with us, Shelly. You're um, welcome. Thank, thank you for having me. Thank you. And of course, to our sisters, we want to thank y'all for sitting at the table with us this week. Let's um, keep the conversation going. Please tweet us your thoughts about you, okay, sis, Black healthcare workers, and COVID 19 using the hashtag Truce Table. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Truce Table or email us your thoughts at AskTruthTable at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review the show on iTunes and subscribe on your favorite podcast podcast player. Truth Table has a Patreon account, so you can send your love offerings to patreon.com slash truthstable, or you can bless us at our PayPal, which is paypal.me slash truthstable. Truthstable is made possible in part by Pottery Studios. Visit pottery.com for the highest in quality online audio entertainment. Our producer for the show is Joshua Heath. Our executive producer is Bo York, and we have been your hosts, Ekemini, Michelle, and Christina. We'll see you soon on the next Truth Table. Bye, y'all. Thank you.